Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. with it up in his office, what's, what's the church for? 
What's the purpose of the church? What's essential to the church? I know that's a hot-button word, essential. But what are the elements that make up the core of the church? And so this is what we came up with. And we've, we've gone through the series the last few weeks. And if you've missed a week, you can always catch up online um, on Spotify or on iTunes or on our website, wapakness.org. I uh, listen to these sermons on there. But these are the elements, the Holy Spirit, unity and prayer, worship, scripture and discipleship, communion and baptism. These elements are all elements that make up what the church is. To remove one of these elements means you remove and you, you uh, risk disrupting all of these elements because they're all tied together. They're embedded with one another. When you mix the concrete together to make a foundation, you can't pull apart the elements anymore. They're together. So are these elements. They're embedded together. To remove the Holy Spirit from all of these, then the foundation is, is going to crumble. It's not going to last. To remove Scripture from all of these, then the foundation is going to crumble. It's going to fall apart. We need all of this. And so this is the last week. Uh, you know, as, as we said earlier, we're rolling into our BBA in July. And so this week, um, we've got one more uh, piece to add to our foundation element. Um, and that's fellowship, generosity, and genuine care. Fellowship, generosity, and genuine care. Now that genuine care is intentional there, right? Otherwise, we would have just said care. Genuine is intentional there. Authentic, true, real. Um, not self-seeking. Genuine. Generosity. Spirit that just gives. That loves. That shares. And fellowship. And as I was thinking about these words, I began to think about, you know, I've, I've been a Christian all my life. I've grown up in the church. And, and I spent many a Sunday sitting in a pew in the back of the sanctuary as a as a kid and as a teen, zoning out as the preacher talked, um, because I didn't know what he was talking about, or I didn't quite care, um, or I finished coloring my, my Batman coloring page already, and so, but I remember hearing this word, fellowship. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a common word for Christian folk, right? We use that word all the time, right? We have fellowship together. What does that mean? Anybody know who this guy is? Bob Dylan says the times they are a changing. He wrote that song in the '60s, and, and it may be so more now than ever. The times they are a changing, but there are these elements that we're talking about here, this fellowship element that that hasn't gone away. But what I've seen happen over the course of time as the Christian church has moved forward, and it's soapbox moment for a second. One of the things that that goes on in our culture. That's, that's a real problem, is that we take everything personally that's not meant personally. Statements can be made about organizations or even groups sometimes that we internalize and we take it as if somebody's saying that about me personally. And it's not meant that way. Um, and so that's my soapbox moment before I say we as the church have oftentimes diminished the importance of fellowship by the way we talk about fellowship. We, we've made it so much less than what it really is. We have a deficit in our understanding of what, of what true fellowship really looks like. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says this, For where two or three gather in my name, there I, am I with them. And this is a great verse. This is a great scripture. 
I quote it all the time, right? Anytime you get together with a couple other Christians, you're like, well, you know, God's with us because there's two or three of us. And we have to believe, like we said, if, if we believe that Scripture is a foundational element, we have to trust in this Scripture. This is true. There is power when Christians gather together. God does something extraordinary when we gather together. It's not because of you or me. It's because of God coming into that and working through us. But what happens, and what I've seen happen, is that we've taken this verse... And we've kind of diminished the power of this by, by unintentionally tying it together with this idea of fellowship. That all we need to do is just be in the same room together, and that's fellowship. That's the beginning of fellowship. But fellowship is so much more than just me sitting in the same room as some other Christian. Fellowship goes so much deeper than that. It was intended to. But we've gotten away from that. Because over time, if you study language, if you've ever studied language, and you've studied the, the origin of words, words can take on other meanings as time progresses, right? As culture changes, uh, and, and as, as different generations rise up, they begin to shift the focus of that word from maybe its original meaning to something else. I mean, that's, that's how we develop a lot of the curse words in our culture, is developed from another word, right? And so fellowship has become something less than what it was intended to be. And I think you're getting this point now. I think I've said it a few times. So I want to look at another scripture here for us. This one's great. Uh, I love this Matthew chapter 18 verse, but let's look at Ecclesiastes for a second. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12. And, and as you can see... The theme is, is very similar in these, these two scriptures, right? Matthew and Ecclesiastes are, are saying a similar thing. They're saying there's power in, in numbers, right? There's, there's a power in a collective group of people coming together. And they're able to accomplish more. And they're able to do more. But Ecclesiastes really gets us this idea that there's work to be done when we gather together. We don't just gather together to sit idly and wait for the world to burn around us and wait till Jesus comes back. When we get together, we get together for a purpose, for an intention. We're on a mission together. We're moving somewhere. We're doing something. We're accomplishing some good. And there's, don't hear me wrong, there is good to be had by just being with, with brothers and sisters and being encouraged. Right? I've been in those situations where I, I don't feel much like working. I'm tired, I'm worn out, and I just need to be encouraged. And there's, there's power in those moments, and those are good things to have. But even in those moments, something is being accomplished. We're working towards something. We're encouraging one another. We're invigorating one another. We're, as Paul would say, spurring one another on. 
we're refocusing one another and, and, and reminding each other of what the purpose is. Why are we why are we doing this? Why do we profess Jesus as Lord? It's about more than just me personally. It's about the way that we want to see the world be. Ecclesiastes gets at this idea. I don't know if anybody knows who these folk are. Mickey knows who they are. This is from uh, a movie series, this picture is, uh, called The Lord of the Rings. You're probably familiar with the title. It was a very popular movie series based on books by a guy by the name of J.R. Tolkien. And this is one of the few movie series that I recommend to absolutely everybody. And I know that these kind of movies aren't for everybody. I get that. Some people don't like this kind of movie, and that's fine. I still recommend it to them, and there's a reason why. The story, I believe, is just that good. Just that thought-provoking. Just that eye-opening. And we can go into conversation. I don't really have the time for it to talk about Tolkien and his life and his best friend C.S. Lewis who led him to Jesus. I don't have time for all of that and talk about how each of these characters embodies some kind of aspect of, of God's story for humanity. But what we see in this picture is something that is referred to in the story as the Fellowship of the Ring. If you're not familiar with the story, there's this, this one all-powerful ring. And it comes to one of those unsuspecting shorter fellows in the front there. They're hobbits. There's this creature named the hobbits. And it comes to him, and he is, he's kind of placed with this, this obligation to make sure that he destroys this ring because lest it fall into the hands of somebody who's evil, their power would be almost limitless and they would take over the world. And so as he begins on this journey, his friends come around him and they say, we're, we're going to go with you. And, and as they go on the journey, they encompass and, and, and uh, encounter, I should say, these other guys who are standing behind them. And so what we see in this picture is in the back far right of the screen, uh, the big bearded guy, his name is Gimli, he's a dwarf. The guy next to him with the long blonde hair is Legolas. He's an elf. They don't like each other. Their two races hate each other. They don't get along. The guy next to Legolas is Gandalf. He's a wizard. He kind of does his own thing. Nobody really bothers the wizards. They're, they just kind of hang to themselves. The guy next to him is Legolas. He's kind of a mystery. Kind of a, a one-man show himself. And then the guys in the front are four hobbits. And hobbits have a reputation of being small, insignificant, not very much help, not very much good. They're just kind of there. You just kind of let them do their own thing. They're fine. They don't hurt anybody. So they don't accomplish much. And so this group of people comes together to form the Fellowship of the Ring in order that they might, they might uh, complete this mission and thus do something greater than themselves. And in the midst of that, they cast aside these notions of, I don't like you because of the way you look. I don't like you because of where you come from. I don't like you because of this, that, or whatever. And they pledge their lives to one another. Everything they have. There's a powerful scene right before this picture is taken where a 
believe it's Legolas says it first. He says, you have my sword. And what he's saying there isn't, hey, here's a sword, have fun. What he's saying is, you have everything of me. I'm holding nothing back from this. You've got everything that I have to give is with you in this fight and in this mission. It's fellowship. People who are different, who think differently, who have different political affiliations, who have different racial backgrounds, who have different ethnic uh, upbringings, come together and are united specifically for the purposes of the kingdom of God. That's why God brings us together. God unites us in fellowship. Let's look at Ecclesiastes again. Fellowship means journeying together. Ecclesiastes 4.9 Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. We can accomplish more together than by building camps against one another. If essentially, if we, if we use the story of Lord of the Rings, right, we've got three tribes of groups. We've got man, we've got elves, and we've got dwarves. And those are considered the three forces, the powerful forces. And then there's the bad guys. There's other folk in there like the hobbits, but they're not a powerful force. They, nobody's expecting them to accomplish anything. So we've got the man, elves, and dwarves. And if any one of them decided, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let them take care of it. Or, or we don't need their help, and we're going to do it by ourselves. You know, I'm the leader of the dwarves, and, and we don't work with elves, so we're going to take care of it ourselves. We're going to accomplish this all by ourselves. It would never have worked. They would have failed miserably. Because they can accomplish more together than they ever could have accomplished by themselves. And this story, this, this two are better than one, plays out throughout the whole story of Lord of the Rings, really. This aspect comes in, if you're familiar with the movies or the books, um, I know some people like to read books more than, than watch movies, but um, I'm a movie guy. If you're familiar with the story, though, all throughout, there's this aspect that we're not supposed to do it by ourselves. We're supposed to be joined together with others. And what makes the kingdom of God different is that those others that we join with are not just those who look like us, think like us, or act like us. In fact, what makes us different is that we join together with those who don't look like us, and don't think like us, and don't act like us. Specifically, because they are united with us in our mission for the kingdom of God and to promote that Jesus Christ came and died and lives again so that you and I can live eternally. That's the point. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we gather together. It's more than just a cookout. It's a relationship that is willing to give everything for the sake of another. chapter 2, verse 42. This was in our video this morning, the scriptures that we've read every week, because this is, this is where our foundations are coming out of. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that early church, we, we often look back at the early church romantically in modern-day Christianity. 
and we think, man, if we could get back to the way they had it, you know, we've, we've, we've created this organization and this system that's, that's somewhat bloated at times, right? That we've made, we've made religion this, this system, and, and if we could only go back to the early church, but the reality is what made them different wasn't about what kind of systems they had or not. It wasn't about their organizational structure. It was about their true, genuine relationships with one another. Because they were devoted to it. Because it didn't matter if I don't like you, right? It didn't matter if I don't think like you. We're in this together. And we see this in Jesus' disciples. I know, I've heard Stephen talk about it before, and I never really thought about it until I heard Stephen talk about it. But even in Jesus' picking of the disciples, we've got Simon the Zealot, who's, who's just, for lack of a better term, this apologist for the Jewish way of life. The Jewish way is the best way. And if, if, if everybody can just come to the Jewish way, they'll, they'll get their heads on straight and things will be better. And then we've got Matthew the tax collector, who sold out the Jewish people. You're one of them. Yeah, you're a Jew, but, but you're in bed with the Roman government. And you're cheating us. And Matthew and Simon become Jesus' inner circle. Well, not his inner circle, but his 12 disciples. Not the inner inner circle, but he's, they're part of the 12. They're part of the ones Jesus hand-picked to do his ministry. Do you think Simon and Matthew had some awkward conversations along the way? Oh, I absolutely, I believe that. Do you think there was a lot of inner turmoil and heart-wrenching that they had to work out as they're walking between here and there with this guy, Jesus? They're trying to figure out who Jesus is and also like, I don't like this guy. Why did Jesus pick this guy? He doesn't think the right way. He's got the wrong ideas. And yet Jesus called them both. And he calls a lot more than just the people who think like us and act like us kingdom is a lot bigger than how we want it to be sometimes. Fellowship is investing in others. And it's not conformity of thought. It is not us all thinking alike on every aspect. It's us being united on mission. United on purpose for the kingdom of God. We don't find unity and conformity. We find unity and diversity. And that's what makes Christianity appealing to those around us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak generationally here just for a minute, and I'm getting close to wrapping up because I see the time. But generationally, one of the things that I remember growing up with, and even through my, my early stages of my education process, was the conversation in, in, uh, in scholastic church world so like in training for pastors and stuff, was how do we get millennials in our churches again? They've all left. We lost our unity and diversity somewhere. And allowing people in some places to think differently about some things and be united about the things that matter. John Wesley, kind of the theological father of our faith, um, of our tradition and Wesleyan theology is attributed with saying unity in essentials and all else charity. 
meaning in the things that we must say, we say them together. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God who came, lived, died, rose back to life. And in other things, we give charity, meaning we're gracious. We don't, we don't cause people to bend knee to our ideas. We allow them to think for themselves, to process, and to try to understand. And we be united on what matters. And we allow the rest of it be a conversation. Something we work towards together. But we don't lose the focus on what we must be united for. If you knew that your last day to be alive was tomorrow, maybe you've thought about this before. Are there things that you would want to do tomorrow? For a lot of people, I think it's you know spending time with family, especially family that I haven't spent a lot of time with. I want to make sure I get that time in with them. If all I've got left is tomorrow, I've got to get that time in. For others, it's maybe going someplace or seeing something, something that you never were able to experience before. Jesus is unity in his fellowship with his disciples caused him even in that moment to do something different. Jesus on the day he knew he was to be betrayed and to be hung up and to die. What Jesus did with his disciples was he washed their feet and then he broke bread with them and he ate. So on Jesus' last day, he didn't say, ah, I need to go to Capernaum one more time and see that water one more time. He didn't say, oh, I need to go back and and, and be with Mary for a few more minutes. Jesus said, what do I need to do in this moment? I need to serve. Because we're united. And that matters. Will you stand in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, this has been my my prayer, and as I said at the beginning, you know, if, if we're not being worked over as a pastor before we preach, then, then our message often falls flat. And this has certainly been something that, that I felt the Holy Spirit working on in me, this deeper understanding of what it means to be in relationship, what it means to have fellowship. Christians are supposed to look different than the rest of the world. We're supposed to think different. We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to be different. Because the Holy Spirit has empowered us and, and enlivened us to live a new life, a different life, a different way than what we see playing out around us. And God, my prayer over the last couple months has been that, that you begin that work in me. If I don't look that way, then how can I expect anybody else to look that way? That's my prayer for my people. These people. These people whom I love and whom I care about. These people who I share community with. These people who I worship you with, God. My prayer is that Wapak Nabs be a place that looks so, 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 so different because of the fellowship that's embedded with us. The unity in the essential things and the things that matter and the allowance of diversity on all the other stuff. 
because fellowship isn't about assimilation of thought. Fellowship is about unity to one another, relationship to one another. So God, help us to be those people. Will your Holy Spirit live in us and encourage us and enliven us to be that in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and in our friend circles so that the kingdom of God will come closer to this earth today and more and more people will come to know you as we have. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. And may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in his peace today. We'll see you next week at 11. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future He has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community, and to love people to Jesus.